When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Podcast. This is the weekly show where we look at everything to do with Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. In the studio with me this evening, Ben Jarman, Jack Collins and Alex Bomer. Thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you for having us, Sammy. Uh, So when I started a podcast, I never thought injury problems would really affect me. If I was starting a -a five-a-side team, it might be an issue. Farrell, who has been on the first two podcasts, was down to uh, be on the podcast tonight. Uh, played five-a-side football uh, yesterday morning and has bust his knee so bad he ended up in hospital yesterday and he uh, failed a late fitness test uh, for coming in today. So uh, Alex, uh, at the very last minute, off the subs bench, playing for the first team, thank you for stepping Having up last minute. Having just woken up. Got email. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming last minute. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, and talking uh, of medical problems, Fulham suffered with Bristol Cityitis last week. Uh, <laughs> two defeats uh, to the same opponents uh, within just a few days. 2016 for the Robins at the Cottage reads thus. Three games, three wins, eight goals scored, seven of those coming in the second half, just two conceded. Uh, they've gone further in the cup and also picked up six points in the league. Quite frankly, I'm very happy to see see the back of them we'll dissect what went wrong in both games but I think we've got to take a skew to the league game as that was a little bit more concerning yeah. uh, given the scoreline but not just that obviously the cup game was majority a youthful side I know there was a few first teamers in there so we'll look at that game uh, but first of all let's go straight into the league game so much to talk about uh, gents start your engines because I think uh, we're going to be in for a long ride who wants to go first Uh, telling me why they think Saturday just went so horrifically wrong. The problem is, I think, that we didn't actually play that badly, which was the first kind of sign of a real problem for me. Because, you know, we dominated the first half, as we can all say. We conceded a sloppy goal on the break. And then it all just sort of fell apart. It was almost easy pickings. And I think they showed us how to play a 4-2-3-1 effectively. More, It was a lesson in football in terms of how that worked. So you wouldn't surely go as far, though, to say that Bristol City didn't deserve to win? No, not at all. They were much better than us. But it was just a case of them being a better side than us, I think. It was what it came down to. Well, certainly, uh, Ben, a side that has 22 shots, a bit two on target, um, can't be that bad. What is going wrong? We seem to be creating the chances, but just we're just not finishing them. Is Chris Martin all to blame? I don't think so, no. I think... Going back the other way in terms of defending properly is what we, we leave ourselves too exposed, especially in terms of the fullbacks. You know, you see Cessna on bombing up and down every single home game. Then on the on the other side, you get Adoy doing the same thing. And essentially, all they're doing is leaving Scott Barker and Kevin McDonald exposed the whole time, which is something we but briefly discussed last week about how immobile they are. And I think the fact that McDonald got sent off so blatantly in a one-on-one situation just rams that point home really if you're going to have play 4-2-3-1 you've got to have one sitter and one runner in my opinion also I think if we're, we're attacking we've got Parker and McDonald neither of whom I mean they're very good they're good in possession but neither of them are very quick so if we lose the ball tracking back's a problem and Sessegnon Odoi are too far forward to 
get back in time. So usually, as we saw with the Bristol City game, they got Freeman and Patterson. Yeah. Uh, if, if any team's got good wingers and they use them properly, uh, they will get a lot of joy against us. Yeah, Fulham in position, uh, in possession, are fantastic to watch. They pass mm. the ball around well, especially first half against City in the Cup. Out of possession, Fulham at times are terrible. Their positioning is all over the place. They don't squeeze high. They don't maintain position. We don't really do anything. They don't do anything. Yeah, you're right. We, we look quite static at times. Like, no one takes the initiative. Yeah. I mean, far be it for me to tell Jokanovic what to do. Go on, try your best. But <laughs> it would be interesting to try Malona's left back with Cessignon's left wing. Yeah. Because mm. Cessignon doesn't really defend that much. Okay. I think Malone's not as good as attacking, but he could probably be prepared to do a bit more defending, whereas Cessignon just likes running forward all the time. Well, well he did that, get would mean, that would mean dropping Cabano but, or moving Cabano somewhere else. But well, moving well, to the right, Kearney in the middle, yeah. Aluko. Well, we're certainly devoid of riches. It's not like we haven't got enough players. We haven't got an injury crisis or anything at the moment. He's got plenty of options, but he's just... Do you think it's a case of he's just not quite picking the right personnel at the moment, or is it the system? Well, for me, I think, you know, we talked about this briefly before, but Barcelona have a 4-3-3 system. Any manager that comes in seems to want to play at 4-3-3 and knows how to play it. With Fulham, we seem to have this over-reliance on the 4-2-3-1 system, but we never have the personnel for it. And we haven't. The, the mm. transfers we made here this summer, and even the transfer winner before that, you could say don't really fit a 4-2-3-1 formation. McDonald, as good as he is in there distributing the ball, doesn't know what to do with it when he's out of possession. And then we have the likes of Aite, who's obviously a level up on anyone else, but as soon as he's come out, we look devoid of ideas wide. And what's the problem with Chris Martin at the moment? I mean, uh, I, I didn't think he offered very much up front. He did a couple of nice little bits of hold-up in the second half, early on in the second half, but really... He certainly, from the naked eye, from the untrained eye, uh, looks unfit. I don't know if that's an unfair criticism at him. He missed a very easy header early on in the first half after uh, Sessignon's very nice cross uh, from the left-hand side. Do you think Chris Martin should be playing in the next couple of games against Forrest and QPR? I think we're not playing to Chris Martin's strengths. If you look at the two centre-backs that Bristol City had, they had Aidan Flint and Magnussen. And both of them are six six, six five. And Martin's, you know, he's not small, but he's not the biggest man in the world. And you know, if Matt Smith's failing to win headers there, why are we playing the ball in to Chris Martin's head? I think if we play the ball in defeat there, then we've got a much better chance of laying off. And I do think that most of our good work and most of our best opportunities came off Martin knockdowns and Martin, you know, hold up play. And I think that you know, while there's not 100 percent much to be said for what was good about Fulham on on Saturday. If you do look at where we created opportunities and carved out opportunities, it did all come off the back of Chris Martin playing with his back to goal. I'm not 100% sure that he's to blame here. And, you know, if we were looking for a striker to nip in and stretch defences, that's not what we've got going there. But we could, you know, if we were doing that, we'd play Piazza on up front maybe and, and, you know, and stretch the defence. But if we're looking to play our three midfielders in behind him, then I don't think Martin's the wrong option. What I do think maybe is that Aluko and Kearney can't play in the same team. Ben, do you agree? I think I have to agree with that, but I think if Aluko and Kenny do play in the same team, they should swap their roles. Yeah. Certainly, I think we've spoken about this three weeks in a row now. Kearney should be, for me at least, in the middle. I don't know what you mm. think about that. We don't have yeah. a width. I mean, I think the problem with a lot of players, lots of the players in general, is that they're excessively one-footed. So every time, I think with the Leeds goal for Kearney, for example, you could see that maybe not as many defences had they hadn't sort of got to grips with him and he was able to drift in from the right and hit that amazing goal. But 
in the last few games, when when defenders have sort of tried to push him onto his right foot, he doesn't really have an answer, and then he he might square it and mm. or lay it off to Sessegnon or someone or Adoy, someone like that. But he doesn't have the ability on his right that he does on his left. Obviously, his left foot is very very good, but it does kind of limit our options a bit. Um, and I mean, he's he's rel- relatively energetic, but he's not quick in this in a sense that you describe Luca or Aite. I think you just mm. find them on top of each other a lot. That's what I've noticed in, you know, we're, we're playing down one side and you find Luca's behind the striker and Kenny almost off him. And you end up with three people in, you know, within five yards of each other. And then there's a lack of space. And while they're all technically good players, no one's going to be playing triangles in five yards every time and making it work. And then again, it comes down to, if that does break down, like you say, those five-yard triangles, then there's a huge gap completely free on the right-hand side. Completely. And then all the, all the attacks will start from there, from the fullbacks. Well, we're looking quite a lot into the attacking element of the side, but we did concede four goals mm. on Saturday, so something can't have gone all to plan uh, defensively. The first goal, I think, is fairly obvious. Cessignon got caught up the pitch, well, and Parker, it was Parker's poor uh, and, ball. and Parker's poor ball. And it was a good finish from Tammy Abraham, who who looks mm. a serious player Sick. at eighteen. He may even be one of the few Chelsea loanees that might come back and actually do a job for Chelsea because they have this weird kind of academy scheme where they just farm out <laughs> all of their youngsters to uh, whatever football league side wants them. They've whacked a 20 million price tag on his head. I mean, 18. already. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, it's justified though. He's already, yeah, you know, scoring a lot of goals at the second tier. A goal level. a game, pretty much. You know, he's 18 years yeah. old. And I've uh, never seen anyone that big, that mobile and that skillful at that such a young age as well. You see him come on the pitch against us in the in the cup game, I've never mm. seen a centre back so scared as when he came on the pitch. And he looked, he looked in the cup game uh, a class above. Yeah, as soon he as he was came only about on, fifty percent. Yeah, you could tell that he was going to cause us problems, and it was no surprise when he nipped in uh, to grab the winner late on. Uh, but anyway, defensively, uh, obviously, I think we know about the first goal, but the second, third, <laughs> and fourth again, two of them at least came from um, breakdowns in midfield. Do you think that Slavish is going to be worrying that um, his defensive strategy is wrong? I definitely think with um, Kalas, Kalas was very, very good against Wigan. And it did look like against Bristol City, uh, we were missing someone who was kind of authoritative and make decisions. I mean, it's difficult to see when they're next to each other, who's the better defender. But when you take him out, I think he, he comes across as better than probably Maddell and Sigurdsson. Why did you take Maddle off? That was a, that was an interesting one for me to put Kevin McDonald into centre back with. Yeah, that you know, was interesting. I mean, Maddle on the I think it's the third goal. Player breaks through past the midfield and Maddle just dips a leg, and then claims an offside when it's blatantly not offside and it's just not good enough in my mm. opinion. I agree. For someone that's been so brilliant over the past half a season and the start of this one, yeah, for him to start agree. waving legs and stuff like that is a bit. And we were singing his praises last week about how good he is at distributing, and we didn't really see any of that this week. No, he didn't seem to offer much. And what, and what we make of um, Sigurdsson, obviously there's a big price tag that he's arrived. <laughs> he arrived with a reputation um, after such a storming Euros. Uh, since his addition to the side, we haven't won a game. I'm not squarely blaming that on him. As well, we have, since we started this podcast, we haven't won a game, so you could <laughs> squarely put the blame on me. Yeah. But... What do we what do we make of him? Do we think that it should be Callas and Maddle, or do we think that Sigurdsson should have a starting role? I don't think he was particularly bad. Again, it, you know, another one that wasn't necessarily a, a bad, no thorns in the side or anything. It was more we lacked sort of 
anyone that was going to stand up against Abraham. And I think that, you know, Sigurdsson left his mark on him a couple of times in the first. I saw that, and it, it didn't seem to phase Abraham. It sort, of, it sort of all washed off him. And I think that maybe Sigurdsson is a good player, and he's a good third centre-half to have in there, but I don't necessarily know if, he's, if he deserves a starting role ahead of Callas. What would have been interesting with Callas in there is that obviously he would have played with Abraham at Chelsea. And it would have been interesting to see if he would have been able to shackle him better knowing his game. That Callas-Maddle partnership against Newcastle was, was pretty much spot on. And they yeah. dominated the whole game from start to finish. And it was just a shame that we haven't seen that sort of replicated in the, in the games afterwards. Well, I think that's my <coughs> thinking, really. Yes, I like Sigurdsson. He hasn't put anything wrong. But we seem to have a decent formula at the back in Callas and Maddle. It worked very well in the opening games. And I know uh, we discussed a lot on the first show how maybe the quality of our opponents slightly flattered us in, our, in those first games. But still, we kept a lot of clean sheets and we looked very sound at the back. And then he's changed it, put Sigurdsson in, and it, it hasn't gone to plan. So I guess I'm just put, make, adding two and two and probably making about 64. But it, <laughs> seems, it seems logical that maybe Callas and Maddow is what we should go back to. Yeah, yeah I agree I think the that. problem, this is the reason that I found the cup game really frustrating. People saying, oh, the cup game doesn't matter, but... In the cup, we can try out different combinations of players. And if now that we've been eliminated, we can't, we don't really have the luxury of being able to experiment with different formations, different personnel. Um, and we weren't, we were playing different players. So it wasn't as if those cup players are going to be playing every league game and going to be tired and the cup game is going to, the cup is going to be a burden. It's more likely that it's a good thing that we were in the cup. And to be honest, the fact that we went out so late as well, I mean, that was an old Fulham trait to let in last-minute goal. Well, that's right. Yeah, very Fulhamish, as the, uh, as the <laughs> name of the podcast <laughs> aptly describes. Uh, you mentioned the cup game, and we've kind of talked about the league game. Let's move on uh, to Wednesday's cup game. It all started off very well. Uh, Lucas Piazza, on the first ever Brazilian uh, to play for Fulham, certainly left his mark early on in the game with a very nice header. Uh, but then goals right at the end of the first and right at the end of the second now mean we're out of the cup. Uh, I think the main talking point from that game was... Corley Woodrow. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't exactly grasp the opportunity, did he? I don't often come out of games sort of seething with a particular player, but <laughs> Corley drove me close on Wednesday. I don't I like Corley. I think he's a you know, I think he's a good servant. I like the way that he re- he interacts with other people. I like his social media presence. I think he's a good thing to have in the club. Is that one of the things on Football Manager, social media presence? <laughs> Nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Finishing three. <laughs> um, <but> <laughs> It was more like I didn't. The penalty, I think, is is mind games, and he's been he's been tricked. And but I also think that maybe that's Corley's spot. And I think one of the things they always say on you know in analysis and commentary is pick your spot and stick with it. And if Corley had that spot all along, if he was always going to put the ball in that corner, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to stick with it. What really annoyed me was the three or four fizzing crosses across the six-yard box that no one was gambling for. And if you're going to be a striker like mm. Corley and, and play with pace and be on the last man and be a sort of poacher kind of striker, you can't not attack the balls that are coming in. And it just literally left me. I was screaming, screaming <laughs> yeah. in the air. And it was really, really, really frustrating. For me, Corley goes completely the other way. I don't like him at all. I don't think he's up to it at all at this level. And I think that the way he acts, for me, is completely... He doesn't deserve to be acting that way. I mean, if you're going to prance around a training ground, you know, you know, piss about in front of the cameras, then fair enough, you're going to back it up with a couple of goals, you know, here and there. But 
I also think a part of that is because, yeah, he is so young. He is a professional footballer. Maybe we'll let that slide. But also the fact that he doesn't know which kind of striker he wants to be. Completely. Mm -hmm. Does he want to be the guy that is going to hold it up like a Chris Martin or a Matt Smith? Or does he want to be the guy that's going to be tricks and flicks? I don't think he really knows. Or or Jukanovic isn't giving him that sort of impetus to choose a path to go down. This is a left field thought. Is he a striker? He's still young enough that he could potentially move into the midfield. Maybe... um, Maybe he hasn't quite got it to cut I mean, out does, front. He does. He in the in the cup game, he did play a lot of balls out wide and sort of spin off, um, bring the fullbacks in. He doesn't score a lot of goals with his feet, so it might be worth putting him a bit further back. But then again, we've already got loads of midfielders, so. Where do you put him? And you just get him to like learn, watch Andy Johnson videos and just run the channels mm. time and time and time again. That's something we've missed over the past years, yeah. isn't it? A proper, proper channel runner. That, that is something that championship teams, most of them, if not all of them, will have a channel runner. Fulham haven't had that, we like you say. We don't stretch defence. Well, and that's what Corley could offer us. Yeah, he's not slow, by any means. I just want to come back to that penalty, because if you haven't seen, if you haven't really studied the replay of that game... It's it's a Sunday league tactic from Ivan Lucic, isn't it? He stands to one side of the goal. He's nearly on the left-hand post, uh, which is one of those things you think, well, if I was a keeper, I'd do something crazy like that. And it, nine times out of ten, it doesn't work because they fire it as far away from the keeper and they can't get anywhere near. But he really um, fell for it. And the one thing I noticed when he was taking that penalty, uh, and this is something I think that like England do in major tournaments, it looked so important for him. He looked so nervous. He kissed the ball. I mean, it's the third round against Bristol City in the EFL Cup. And he kissed the ball and he just like, oh, please, please go in. And he's looked so worked up, so anxious. It was, I mean, surely by now, I know he, he's, he's not, it's not his first season. It's not his first cup game where he really needs to score this. His family's in the stands and he gets a professional contract whether this goes in or not. Mm. I mean, that to me seemed a little bit... Amateurish, for want of a better word. He's an under twenty one international, with yeah. like more than five caps as well. So he should be a little bit more experienced than that. The, the naivety is that it, yeah, he's still just over twenty one. He's twenty one. Mm-hmm. So twenty one. The thing is that he's still young. He is still young, but he's also not as young as I think we think he is. Yeah. He's not still a kid come up through the academy. And while you know, while I like Corley, I think that if Corley we'd signed Corley and he was from a different. You know, if we just signed him two years ago and he was German, let's say, yeah, Corley would have nowhere near the level of support that Corley does. Yeah. Mm. It's because he's young and homegrown and English and people like the idea of having young, homegrown English players. But it would be actually, lovely. It would be lovely yeah, if he I, went like and was the reason. He scored 25 goals, he got his promotion and he was cast in bronze outside the stadium. I'd love that. It's a bit of Dan Burnism. Um, yeah. This whole problem. <laughs> his mom might because he's one of our own, essentially. Yeah, out of the no academy. one wants to criticise him, but mm. actually, when you do things wrong, you have to be called out on it. And I think maybe Corley needs to go out on loan to League One, bang in 20 goals for a season, and come back full of confidence and able to actually step up his game because I don't think he's made that leap yet from the youth <laughs> ranks to a senior. You know, it was against Crystal Palace, our last game in the Premier League, wasn't it, where he scored his first senior goal? Yeah. And. I don't think he's come on since no, then, really. I, I don't think, think he's, he's probably regressed a little bit. I'm guessing also both Woodrow and Matt Smith probably thought in the summer when they saw McCormack going and Dembele going, they probably thought, great, this is, this is, this is our time. And then, obviously, Aite Naluko got signed, which is fine, um, for, which was fine initially for Smith because he played in the middle with them either side. But then they brought in Martin and then all of a sudden... Mm. 
neither Woodrow nor, nor Smith are starting at all. Yeah. I mean, it's got. They're probably thinking, well, we had our big, big opportunity in the first month of the season, first two months, to sort of uh, stamp our authority, and it's kind of passing by. Whether that's because Jukanovic prefers other other strikers, or because Smith, I do think last season, in games coming on, he was a real threat, but he's. He's viewed, even though he scored the winner against Newcastle, he's still viewed as a sort of plan B sort of striker. Well, it's five games without a win in all competitions. Um, that could become seven, really, with two tricky games coming up uh, tomorrow night, as it is now, against Nottingham Forest, and then the big one on Saturday against QPR. Uh, do you fear the worst, that we could go seven without a win? And surely then, yeah. seven without a win in this league, Slavish is looking over his shoulder. I think he's earned his own his credit in terms of. Mm. I, I think that as well, but, I know, but I agree with when you. When you get to that, of, yeah. yeah, seven on the trot, and you start to think, you know, what's not working here? You know, we also the thing with you know going back to that for a second, Smith and, and, and Martin is when you put these two strikers on last minute as a plan B, we don't have any width, we don't mm. have any wingers. You know, we've got George Williams out on loan, who you know obviously isn't the finished article by any means, but he is an out and out winger. He's a, a hug the touchline, swing the ball in winger, and if we don't have wingers that are going to swing the ball in what's the point bringing on two big strikers because they're not going to flick the ball on and win you know the foot race mm. no and then there wasn't really much of a knock down exactly. option um so just looking though again ahead to forest and qpr we don't have a very very good record against forest do you see much change in our fortunes coming around i think we can i don't think we'll do too well against forest because we're not a particularly good away team as it is um i think we could probably beat qpr though i mean they're a bit as inconsistent as we are in terms of results recently. I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank as a manager himself is quite naive. Um, going back to Jokanovic looking over his shoulder, I think there's a lot of similarities here between us and the current situation that West Ham are going for you, bar being paying two and a half million for a massive stadium every year, tax-free, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, I think we're quite similar to... I pay more for my flat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think they're quite similar to how they are in terms of they're not having a good run of results. Recently, the manager done something last season that's really encouraging. They've had a lot of transfers in wide areas. They've yet to make it wow. in and bed in, so the team is is joined up and is flo- is free-flowing. They look quite disjointed. So do we, but I think we can take QPR. So, Ben, you don't think there's really any need to panic and that maybe things might turn around and there's the time needs to bed in. Alex, would you agree with that? that yeah, I mean, it's stations- still really early on in the season. The fact that we've fallen from second at the end of August to 13th now so quickly means that we can just as easily do the opposite yeah. in a short period of time. Mm. Um, you talk about Nottingham Forest as well. Isn't We are still unbeaten away from home in the league. Mm. We've won two, drawn two, I think. So... Yeah. That is, it's weird because we've usually been terrible away from home. So it's nice to, in a way, be good away from home. But that seems to have not come at the expense of. But it would nice be nice if we got our consistency back at Craven Cottage, and then we would be good. And yeah, whilst- Forrester a bit hit and miss as well at the moment. Well, it's the uh, the return of uh, Paj Tim Kasami as well. Oh, what a player. Um, scorer of, I mean, he's got to be the one of the best ever Fulham goals, if not the best. I mean, he's got to be, I mean, how he didn't win goal of the month, yeah, that, no. that is still irks me robbed, to this day. Robbed by Jack Wilshere. Oh, just, Better than the Dempsey goal or not? Um, not, yeah. for, not for moment. Not for moment. Not for, yeah, not for the occasion, yeah. but... For, for, technically, technically, yeah. 
outright skill it's got to be. Because it was his wrong foot, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, can't, no- I can't remember who the Palace defender was. I want to say, like, Mariapa. It was Mariapa. He'd done everything right. He'd, he'd, a ball, ball came in from Rita, and he'd put him towards the corner. He was going absolutely nowhere. There was no one in the box, apart from Darren Benton. What was he going to do anyway? Also, <laughs> in, the, in that game, Sidwell scored an unbelievable yeah, No one no talks one about that. No one In that game... Consigned to history. We had three... Unusual goals. I think Berbatov got the other one, and that obviously, mm. even though he's, he was the most unbelievably frustrating player to watch in my life, he was that was expected to some extent. But those three goals were some of the best goals probably of that month. He could put all of them in there. I had to pinch myself during that as well. Game. Yeah, yeah. he was on TV. What a day! I was in Durham, <laughs> like you know, floating about watching Fulham on TV. I was like, well, who put Fulham Palace on on TV? That was a terrible decision for mm. the Sky cameras. A bit like Burnley Watford tonight. Oh, That's a quota for isn't it? What a game. <laughs> But interestingly, uh, the most annoying thing for me on Saturday with the Bristol City defeat, apart from that we conceded four goals and maybe uh, our unlikely playoff campaign uh, slightly went off the rails, is that it was a very special day for me on Saturday. I um, I took my seven-year-old nephew Toby to his first ever football game. Now, it's a bit of a bone contention in our house. His dad's not a huge football fan, certainly doesn't really passionately support a team. And my brother, and I hate to admit this, supports that rabble up the road. It's a sore point in our house, but I've, I've beaten him to taking Toby to a game, and I'm really hoping that he chooses to support Fulham. So I took him to the game. His face, when he walks into the ground, it lit up. He saw 20,000 people cheering, and he, he, you, that, I wish I had a photo of him at that particular moment because his eyes were bright and wide. I'm sure we all had the same feeling when we walked into Craven Cottage. I bought him the shirt. I really went all out for him. 4-0! <laughs> 4-0. <laughs> just, I just wanted a goal. I wanted a consolation at the end. This is what it's like. And he just kept going to me like, oh, well, Bristol City are quite good, aren't they? And that, <laughs> I was like, I'll go support Bristol then. I don't care. I'll try my best. Go support well, Chelsea. To be honest, I know, not for, not for Fulham, it wasn't, obviously, it was the, the worst possible outcome. But if you want to convince your nephew that it's worth watching, at least their goals. At least, at least it wasn't a nil-nil. If it had been a nil-nil, I honestly think you would have found it less convincing. Do you think? Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think it could have gone yeah. that. <laughs> I don't think 4-0 reverse. Because you'd be like, gone. well, at least maybe we get battered every time, yeah. but we still see goals, and that, that's what I want to see, rather than, oh, no, no one scores. Like the Wigan game, where there's three shots on target the whole game between the teams. And if you saw that as your first game, you'd think, I wouldn't want to come back. I think you'd give up on football. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, I think just maybe you should ch- choose rugby or yeah. cricket or something else. It could be why Wigan are so popular in terms of rugby. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Poor kids just um, given up on <laughs> the go to one game at the DW. <laughs> everyone's first game every week and everyone's last. Definitely not those cheese pies that are putting them off. No, oh, they're beautiful, the pies up at Wigan, aren't they? Just want to kind of hear from you three what your first Fulham games were. What got you hooked into into the Fulham roller coaster, the Craven Cottage roller coaster? Well, my whole family is black and white. So you didn't really have a choice? I didn't have a choice. My granddad came over in the 1930s or whatever it was, and um, he he picked Fulham, and and it's been history. And all my dad's brothers are Fulham, apart from my aunt, who decided she was going to try and wind everyone up, and she's absolutely a hardcore Brentford. What? So, yeah, she's (laughs) a hardcore Brentford, and and she's married to a hardcore QPR. So it's a bit... So they're not invited at Christmas anymore. No, exactly. Derby days are are fun in the family. But um, the first game, the first game I... 
have vague memories of being there was in I was in the Riverside stand at Lincoln City and I've worked I've tracked this back I don't remember the game but I tracked it back to a 1-0 win on the 6th of March 1999 that's the first game I can recall being at a football match but the first game I remember watching is us winning 5-0 against Watford on Boxing Day in the promotion campaign okay so I was seven and it was absolutely freezing. It snowed in the morning. I came down. I was with my dad. And I was so, so cold. I was absolutely <laughs> freezing. I was wrapped up. And I was like, no, dad, we've got to go. And anyway, we scored 1-0, 2-0. That's why we can't go. <laughs> we're not 2-0 at home on Boxing. We never win on Boxing Day. 3-0. I'm like, dad, we need to go. Well, I'm, I'm literally freezing. So he's taken off his coat. And I've got that on as well. And I'm still sitting on his shoulders. He really wanted going, to see this, didn't he? 4 0. I'm like, Dad, I can't go with this game. <laughs> he's like, he's there in a t shirt. It's minus, like, <laughs> minus degrees. And he sat out the whole game with me in a t shirt and absolutely froze to death to watch us win 5 0. Hale's got a hat trick, Saha, and Andre Stolchers. Andre Stolchers, what a name. Yeah. Um, ben, uh, do you also come from Fulham family? No, I don't. Um, so my dad supports Barnet. Okay. Um, f- for those of you who may know them, uh, obviously okay. l- lower league and have been forever. They'll never get out of League Two, I don't think. <laughs> uh, my mum is a Tottenham fan, and the rest of my family are uh, a smattering of Tottenham, Arsenal, and a couple of Man United and Chelsea fans thrown in there for good measure. Um, I am a Fulham fan just because my dad bought me tickets to go to a game uh, one Christmas time. Um, I think it was early January as opposed to like a Boxing Day game. It was against Aston Villa. And it must have been around about minus six degrees. My dad has didn't at that time really know how to get to to Craven Cottage, so we walked from Hammersmith, uh, which was which was fairly lengthy. Um, <laughs> and I remember coming down uh, the road and seeing the the floodlights emerge from above the houses, and then the the facade of the the Johnny Haynes stand. And I just was blown away by how uh, a football stadium could be so historic mm. yet so modern and by that point it had just been refurbished and stuff like that and I remember sitting in the tiny wooden seats absolutely freezing my nuts off um, and watching Fulham I think it was a three-all draw uh, with Aston Villa um, and just being completely you know taken aback by the football on, on show in the stadium and, and the fact that the kit at the time was pretty beautiful as well so I think that that had me hooked um, and ever since then I've followed them um, through thick and thin and uh, basically have my dad to blame inadvertently for making me support Fulham despite the fact he's not Fulham I remember that game I met Chris Kamara (laughs) unbelievable Jeff and Alex uh, how did you get into supporting Fulham Um, I think a friend of mine went along to Fulham games with his dad and therefore I did the same thing Okay, and we beat Barnsley 5-1 I mean, as much as we don't like to admit that glory hunting plays a part in supporting uh, a club, losing heavily, as as your nephew saw, isn't fun. <laughs> and winning heavily definitely will convince you to come back. Yes. Because you won't say, no, I'll turn it down if you've won 5-1 in the first match. Um, and even if, in subsequent years, I mean, we got promoted that year, so it was the Tigana great football year. Yeah. Um, obviously, subsequent years were a bit more difficult. Definitely it is a good result that usually gets you into into that habit of going. Yeah, and um, I'm sure I'm sure it'll be fine and stuff. I, it was just one of those typical like oh, you I, I specifically picked out Bristol City. I thought 
Because <laughs> I thought QPR or maybe, I don't know, Derby's can go either mm. way. I thought Bristol City is a good chance of three points there. And uh, how wrong I was. Uh, we got so many um, people messaging in on Twitter when I asked uh, what your first um, Fulham games was. Uh, Liam Roberts uh, was actually, his first Fulham game was Bristol City in 1973. Uh, he was seven as well. He said, make sure your uncle buys you a programme. I did do that. I was very careful on Saturday uh, to make sure that I just saved everything the ticket stub, the programme. get it signed? I didn't get it signed by anyone. I tr- We were at the front. Um, I was trying to get like Billy the Badger, at the very least, to sign it, but even <laughs> Billy turned us down, so I didn't have any luck there. Uh, Dave says, uh, went to Fulham Man United on Bank Holiday Monday in 1968. Lost 4-0 at the Cottage. Uh, we went down, still a fan. Well, I'm hoping we don't go down, because that's, re- that's really not going to convince him, but Dave's still a fan after losing 4-0. And Sam... Uh, this is this is amazing. Uh, Plymouth versus Fulham in uh, the 95-96 season. Plymouth won 5-1. And he's still a fan as well. So I think... I'd really like that to be in Plymouth. Mm. I think that yeah. one would be much more acceptable if it was in... Not acceptable, much more exciting if it was in Plymouth. That's a real... If you were an away game and you lose five, can you imagine how many Fulham fans were away at Plymouth in 95, 90, 200 miles to see that? Yeah, I, I think that would have been less of a sell. Oh, um, so we're going to drive 200 miles, it's like four hours Maybe away. From Plymouth. And we're going to go see Plymouth Fulham. I've never heard of Plymouth, I've heard of Man United. No, no, we're off, to see, we're off to see Plymouth. I wonder what the weather was like on that day. It was raining as well. Pretty much the worst possible combination of factors you could possibly have. Away fixture, losing 5-1. And then it rains. Do you want to know an interesting well, one about it raining at Fulham and it coming into something good? Do you know the song Vindaloo? Yeah. Um, it was actually written by Alex James off of Blur fame. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Keith Allen after he went to see Fulham play away and apparently it was a 1-0 loss and Fulham like were rubbish and it was raining and... Alex James was so impressed with the fact that the Fulham fans were, were chanting and clapping through the game that he decided he was going to write Vindaloo with Keith Allen. So that's what the basis for the song was. Really? Bam. I never that's knew brilliant. that. I like that because not many Fulham ch- not many like famous kind of football chants start at uh, Fulham. At yeah. Fulham. They normally start <laughs> at Liverpool or Wigan lately has been the latest mm. trend. Um, oh, oh, Bristol City fan tried to tell me that um, the Will Greggs on Fire was one of their songs what? and that Wigan nicked it from them. Oh, God. Give it a rest. Uh, they want like everything, that, don't they? I feel like that's nonsense. Yeah. You've got your six points. Yeah, exactly. Bugger off. off you go. Yeah. 64 goals. Um, so it's uh, nearly coming to the end of the podcast. Just a couple of bits of admin uh, to pick you up on. Uh, last week we discussed Jimmy Bullard uh, as joining Leatherhead and we uh, discussed whether uh, he'd make it as a manager. Well, uh, he's picked up two points in his first two games as Leatherhead boss. Just two more than we've picked up. Exactly, yeah. Games, so. Jimmy Bullard for manager. Get rid of the visa. <laughs> uh, late equalisers by both Folkestone and Victor and Needham Market, though, denied Jimmy Bullard from a perfect start. Well, that's so, Fulhamish. Yeah, well, maybe. Jimmy Bullard may have a future in management. We'll have to see how his uh, next games go. Uh, so it's time for the Fulhamish time capsule. We started this uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're building a, a metaphorical time capsule of uh, memorable white players, moments and matches uh, to show Fulham fans in 100 years' time. So when, when games that are folklore to us now and players and uh, moments that stand out in our memories, they might, they might have dwindled a hundred years down the line, they can dig them up and maybe read about them. Uh, it's never going to happen. I'm never actually going to dig up this time capsule. But uh, please send in your suggestions. Uh, we've been getting loads already, so thank you for that. Um, today is the turn of John Gibby. 
who's thrown a match into the ring. Uh, and he says that his uh, first Fulham game uh, was at Craven Cottage, and he remembers going absolutely mental when we beat Norwich by six goals to nil on the uh, final game of the 2004-2005 season. I think mostly memorable for me, because Fulham didn't need to win at all. I don't think we could move up or down a position no. at all. Norwich needed to stay up. And uh, we just decided to turn on the style and not just relegate them, but relegate them emphatically. Um, and on my particular memory, because that night scored. That night did score. <laughs> Papa Boob Diop scored a 25-yard free kick. And I remember watching, <laughs> I 100% completely remember watching him and Mal Bronk standing over it and being like, well, this is far too close for Diop. <laughs> you know, he didn't belt it. He didn't belt it. He curled an absolute beauty into the top corner. It was... It, it was incredible. And I remember being like, well, what has just happened? Like, that's absolute nonsense. Diop can just hit him. Papa Booby Diop didn't score tappins. No, he didn't. Wardrobe, wasn't he? Only he scored yeah, one. He only scored wardrobe. Is, well, we, last, year we had, last year we had Tony Callio, the bone crusher. I think only the wardrobe potentially tops the bone crusher as a nickname. Where did that come from? Did anyone know? Part was just built like size. one. Yeah, I think purely was. was absolute tank, wasn't he? He was a big old man. There were 7,000 Norwich fans travelled that day to see them lose 6-0 and get relegated, according to the match report. I think um, I heard that like tickets for that game on the like black market, Norwich fans were willing to pay um, four figures for tickets that day. I mean, you would have taken that, wouldn't you? Before the game, last game of the season, oh, four figures for the final game. No. We, we, can't go, we can't change positions. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I would have given my ticket away. Talking of your cousin, you should have just took him to see Norwich in a couple of weeks. You would have been all right. Oh, yeah, well, it's a guaranteed <laughs> three points, isn't exactly. it? Just score for fun. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for taking part in the podcast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all your lovely comments uh, about the podcast uh, so far. We really appreciate it and all the reviews on iTunes and everything like that. Uh, it's really, really very much appreciated. So uh, make sure you give us a subscribe uh, so the next episode just automatically floats into your phone. Um, and you don't even have to worry about pressing that download button. Uh, but we'll be back next week, hopefully, uh, with slightly more positive matches to discuss. So, uh, gents, thank you very much for being here this evening. Yeah, thank you. No so See you later.